And welcome to the second edition of Dell's Discretion. This is my podcast. These are my opinions. These are my sayings, and I have that right guaranteed to me in the First Amendment. We touched on that last week. And so I'm going to use these, you know, 15 minutes or so to tell stories, to give my opinions, to try to encourage, to try to irritate, to try to motivate, maybe even infuriate at times. But nevertheless, I have that right under the First Amendment. And so I could easily jump on the what's going on the last several days, jump on the, the bandwagon. But everybody's talking about that. Everybody, it's all you see, read, hear about. What went on in D.C.? You know, four years ago, my wife and I attended President Trump's inauguration. And it was a spectacular event. We had an awesome view. We had awesome tickets, thanks to my congressman, Congressman Bill Johnson, 6th District of Ohio. We were his campaign chairman for re-election. We're still his campaign chairman for my county in Scioto County, Ohio. And as a, you know, as a token of his gratitude, Bill gave a lot of his chairman tickets to the inauguration. So we went, had a wonderful time. And we saw the good in people, made a lot of friends. Well, I made some friends that I still stay in contact with today. And we saw the other side. We saw protesting, uh, not protesting. You know, I've gone and, and been involved in demonstrations, and I guess you would call them protests. We've marched on Washington and the on the uh, pro-life events. We've done that a few times. We've walk the streets here in our town on Pro-Life Sunday to get the message out. Never once have we resorted resorted to any violence or anything, just walking the street with our mission and talking and making our case with our lawmakers. So what we saw at the inauguration was not protesters. What we saw was vile, disgusting people throwing things, temper tantrums, um, setting cars on fire, overturning cars, setting buildings on fire. You know, we were at lunch after the inauguration in, in downtown DC at uh, at a Fuddruckers, and uh, at one point, you know, one of our sons called and said, "Are you guys okay?" And we said, "Well, what are you talking about? Of course we are. We're having lunch." They said, "Well, we're seeing cars set on fire," and so. I went to one. I went outside to one of the to one of the, of the police officers, who we love. The police officers. We thank God for the men in blue, women in blue. We back the blue. Law enforcement. They're our friends. Law enforcement are the first responders. Law enforcement are the reasons, the good things you know that we can be protected. So we are a law enforcement back the blue kind of person. They are not the villains. They're the good guys. So I went out, saw you know a cop there, and said, hey, is everything okay? And he says, 
well, you know, there's a couple of blocks away. They've set some cars on fire. You know, these are the peaceful protesters that the media wants you to to believe. The ones that, you know, the I don't know if it's going to be Vice President Kamala Harris elect, but you know, during the summer, when all your activists were burning down streets and tearing down statues, she said, "Oh, these people have their right to do that. We need to support their right." But by golly, last weekend when pro-Trump rally took place. All of a sudden, now they are terrible terrorist, domestic terrorist. She has no, I, she is, she is borderline terrorist, in my opinion. So anyway, the cop says, you know, there's some violence going on a couple blocks away. You guys might want to think about heading out pretty soon. So we finish our lunch. And headed back to, you know, to catch the train, to go back to the hotel and get in our car and go home. Anyway, so it'd be easy to jump on that bandwagon today and right now talk about, you know, what the media wants you to believe. You know, I saw a post this week and, and I shared it on on the 6th, you know, when the, the Trump rally took place or the patriotic rally took place there in Washington, D.C. It you know, started around 10 or 11 O'clock, and then kind of get a little chaotic. Obviously, when uh, the Capitol building was was um, I can't say it was taken over or invaded because we, the taxpayers, that's our building. But anyway, the point aside, that took place. You know, late, you know, earlier afternoon. It wasn't at, you know it wasn't in the morning, but a reporter from the I guess you call it a reporter, an activist from the National Public Radio NPR had a story ready, printed at 9.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., before anything happened that said, basically, that the Trump thugs have overtaken the Capitol. They clash with police. This was at 9.30 in the morning, hours before anything happened. So the media was ready for this. The media was hoping for destruction. The media was hoping for pandemic effect. They they love to start, they love to pour the gasoline and light the fire. The media, education are the two biggest culprits to socialism. Anyway, I'm going to get off this topic. I promise not to get on it. What I want to talk to you for the next, I don't know, eight or nine minutes is encouragement. Because right now we need encouragement. We need some hope. We need some determination. We need to keep going. And I'm going to talk about keep going and how it pays off. Sometimes it doesn't pay off. But I also want to get in a cheesy promotion from one of my books. Because I'm good at cheesy promotions. In March of this year, the sequel to my book, Dugout Devotions, will be out. And it's called, ironically, Dugout Devotions 2. By Iron Stream Media and New Hope Publishers. We're really excited about that. This book contains my personal interviews with some of uh, Major League Baseball's biggest names players, coaches, scouts. You know, some are current players, some are retired. One of the players in my book, and Doug Out Devotions 2, is featured as Tim Tebow. And I was able to interview Tim Tebow personally, one on one, which for me was a, was a big milestone. Because I think he's one of the most sought-after athletes to interview. People packed that. You know, when I went to the game up in Columbus, Ohio, he was uh, playing for the Syracuse Mets farm team. And we went up there. The place was packed. 
the guy, one of the Clippers, um, Columbus Clippers, one of the guys said, you know, we've never seen it this packed. It was crazy. People didn't come to, to see Tim Tebow play baseball. People came to see Tim Tebow. Maybe watch him pray in the stands with somebody. Because they want encouragement. They want hope. They want to feel good about themselves. So anyway, for me, who's basically a nobody in the, in, in the media, you know, I play, I'm a very small player. I knew Tim was coming to Columbus, Ohio. I, I saw the schedule weeks out, and I thought I'd love to talk to Tim one-on-one. So if anybody knows anything about minor league baseball, you, got, you have like four or five people do everything. So I was able to find who I needed to contact, who you know, would grant me permission. And I uh, reached out to him, sent him an email, sent him a phone call. Didn't hear back. So about a week later, sent another email, made another phone call, left another message. Never heard back. This went on for two or three weeks. And I know, and he wasn't being rude because we finally hooked up. He finally answered his phone. I called him at night one time. And I was heading back from a game. And I thought, well, I'm almost going to call him. So I called him. He picks up. He goes, Dale, man, I've got your messages. I'm sorry. I've been really busy. Again, two or three people run everything. So I sent him my request. And I stayed in contact with him. It wasn't a you know one and done thing. So... You know, I, I kept, you know, his game got closure, I reached out to him, you know, any chances of talking to Tim? And he's like, I don't know, you know, as the game gets closer, I'll, I'll find out. So a few days before I touched base with him, he goes, you know, Tim hasn't given me an answer yet. Because I found out rules, typically the clubhouse in the Major League, you know, baseball is open prior to the game and after the game to, to the media. But they had a different set of rules for Tim Tebow because he did this out of respect to the other players the clubhouse is closed prior to the game and after the game, so there's no access to the clubhouse. And, you know, teams are coming in for two or three days, you know, three or four days at a time, so they're there for three days. And Tim would give one, one 10-minute press conference before the first game only. So that was your um, expected availability of Tim Tebow. Not in a, you know, it was it was in a group setting, so... I wanted something different. I wanted just me and him. So I reached out to this gentleman again prior to the game, the day before the game, because I don't know yet. So I went up on the day of the game. The place is packed. The place is crawling with you know, I'm there four hours before the game. There's people in line with their memorabilia to get Tim to sign it. Bus pulls in finally, and Tim has to have cops on both sides escort him into the to the clubhouse because people want his autograph and things like that. So that's the draw this gentleman has. Again, not because he plays baseball and not because, you know, he was a, you know, a good quarterback and a national championship winner. It's because of what he represents. People want hope. So I meet the young man up, up in the booth, um, about an hour later. And I said, yeah, any any word yet? And he goes, no, he goes, I I don't know yet. You know, Tim hasn't given me an answer. So I just happened to have with me, you know, some articles I'd written. I said, this is what I'm wanting to do. I'm wanting to focus on my involvement with or his involvement with the Tim Tebow Foundation. Because my wife and I have volunteered at that. I put on a tuxedo and I go and shine shoes for the participants and the attendees. So I had a picture of me shining shoes. And he says, hey, can I have that picture? I said, yeah, take it with you, show Tim. And then we had met his mother a couple of times. And it's a picture's taken uh, with Pam Tebow. My wife kind of knows her a little bit bit better. So we gave him a picture of us with, with his mom. He goes, oh, well, let, let me see, let me see. So he goes down. About an hour later, he, 
sticks his head out of the dugout and looks up at me and he gives me a thumbs up. He goes, hey, Tim will give you, you know, four or five minutes, just you. And one of the reasons was, he said, because if I can give two or three hours to his foundation each year, he can give me three or four minutes. So that made me feel good because I didn't, I don't volunteer at his events for that. But if you do things in the right heart and the right chemistry and the, and the right, for the right purpose, you know, God has promised that good things will come back to you. And so we were able to spend, you know, four or five minutes with Tim Tebow, just me and him, get some pictures, he autographed some books. I gave him a book. He wanted me to autograph it. And it was really cool. And he said, you know, during that time, he goes, man, if, if, if you can volunteer for that and do that, I really appreciate that. So I can talk to you one-on-one, just me and you. And a couple other, you know, bigger media outlets saw us and they got, they got aggravated at me because they, they said, how does he get him? And, you know, we can't. Well, it's because I did the right play by the rules. Request made my request early in advance, followed up on it. I was determined. I was persistent, but I wasn't pushy. And I let him know what I wanted. Up front, no, I didn't ambush him. I didn't try to trick him. I stuck to what I promised. I wanted to talk to him about why we should be involved in charity events and why we we should give our time as stewards. Because charity is a wonderful thing. And I'm, I'm not just talking giving money. I'm talking giving your time. Donating your, your money. Donating your time. Reaching out to somebody. Charity. It's a great thing to have. It's a great thing to do. And my wife and I do it. We, we're involved in several charities. I'm on a Salvation Army board. Uh, advisory board. I was on a hospice board. We are involved in pro-life organizations. My wife is an officer on a local Right to Life chapter. So... You give back. And when you give back, you don't do it for this reason, but sometimes good things come back to you. And in this case, the determination I had to talk to Tim Tebow one-on-one for my books, for Dugout Devotions 2, which will launch again March of 2021 from New Hope Publishers and Iron Stream Media. You can pre-order on Amazon now. But the point was, keep with it. If you don't hear back from that potential job interview, keep with it. Reach out to somebody. Don't be pushy, but be persistent. And there's a difference. You know, make sure you have that fine line there. Let them know you're interested. It's, it's okay to be bold. It's okay to be aggressive, but with the right frame of mind. Aggressive with a smile. Bold with a little bit of uh, arrogance mixed in with humility is a great thing. And doors could open for you. You know, the worst thing that could have happened out of all that is they said no. But I took a chance. I rolled the dice, so to speak. And good things happened. You know, I'm now I'm able to feature two or three chapters with my interview with Tim Tebow in Dugout Devotions 2 and First Down Devotions 2 because Tim obviously played football. So he's in both of my books. And we were able to get a couple of pictures with him for him. So we're hoping to reach out to him with his agent, maybe line something up for later this year. Hopefully we'll see. But the point is in this second version of Dell's discretion was there's hope and there's encouragement. And we've got to have that, especially right now in these crazy days. So thank you for listening. I hope it's given you a little bit of a, a little extra pep and thinking, you know, to yourself, I can do this too. I can, you know, I have a big obstacle in front of me, no matter what it is. I have something that's probably, you know, the odds were against me actually in, in talking to Tim one-on-one because I was told that up front. Well, it probably won't happen. 
but it did because I was persistent and I was determined and I had the right frame of mind about it and I prayed about it and asked God to, to, to help me get that. It doesn't mean it's going to happen every time. But good things can happen to you too. So join me next week for Dell's Discretion. And go out there today and try to make a positive difference in somebody's life.